Well, a few weeks ago, we began on Sunday nights looking at the stories that Jesus told, the parables of Jesus. We started in uh, Matthew chapter 7 with the uh, parable of the wise and foolish builders, uh, the one who built his house upon the rock and the sand, and we sang that song, and uh, it was fitting. We talked about the parable of the sower uh, that is... Uh, Pretty straightforward as far as the sower goes out and he spreads the seed and it falls on different kinds of soil. And we want to make sure that we are the good soil, uh, that we're not the kind that has weeds choking our faith out or or we're not planting any roots or any of those type of things. And then a couple weeks ago, we looked at that kind of difficult parable on the wheat and the weeds or the tares, as the King James says. And and uh, looked at that and thought, you know, that, that's kind of a little difficult to understand exactly what Jesus was saying. But we made it through. Well, tonight we're going to look at two very short parables. In fact, the two parables combined are only three verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Go ahead, Jamie. And it's the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl or pearl of great price. Now, before we read this, I got to tell you, I've about decided I'm not going to do the parables anymore because I've about decided the parables are making me look dumb because I looked at these parables and I thought, eh, simple. I got this. And the more I started reading and the more I started studying and the more other people through their their writings and books and things like that started filling my head. It all of a sudden dawned on me, these two parables are not as simple as they would appear, at least on the outlook of it. So in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44, it says, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, very short, seemingly very simple. And yet, as we're going to get into tonight... They may be a little more complex than what they appear on the surface. Kind of like the parable of the weeds that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure now that the most obvious interpretation is the correct one. But we'll explore those possibilities here in a little bit. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast the two parables. And you might think to yourself, well, that won't take long. They're only, you know, that big. And you're right. It's not going to take a real long time. But I remember in English and in literature, uh, they would tell us, you know, to compare and contrast different characters and different things like that. And one of the things that makes this parable a little more difficult is that Jesus, well, well, never mind. That's here in the next point. I thought I'd gotten ahead of myself, but I didn't. I was right the first time, not the second time. So first of all, we're going to look at the similarities between the two parables. And the first similarity is that both parables are about the kingdom. Okay? 
Well, we know this because Jesus said it was. He begins by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. And then in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, you know me, you know I am no great English grammarian, but I know that that is called a simile, right? Remember that from grammar? A comparison using like or as. If there was no like or as, it would have been a metaphor. I just wanted to impress you some more, all right? But these are similes. We don't have to wonder what the parable is about. Jesus tells us the parable is about the kingdom. But now that's really all he tells us. Unlike the parable of the sower that we saw and the parable of the weeds that we looked at, Jesus does not explain this parable. And we might think to ourselves, you may be thinking to yourself, there's no reason to explain it. It's pretty simple. It's pretty cut and dry. Many of Jesus' parables are the result of a question that was asked. You know, you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. If all you do is take the parable and you do not take the conversation that precedes it and the conversation that comes after it, you're going to kind of miss the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, it's a good parable. It's a nice parable about a man helping another man. But until you realize that it really comes down to a somebody coming to Jesus and asking the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells the parable and then asks the man who was a neighbor to the one who was hurt. Well, in that context, that parable now makes a whole lot of sense. We understand the purpose for that parable. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is eating with sinners and all those yucky people that were coming to be with him. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're sticking their nose up in the air and they're going, Ugh, how can he eat with those people? Does he not know what kind of people they are? And then Jesus tells three parables in a row. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal or lost son. Now, in the context of that situation, those parables make a whole lot of sense. And we understand the purpose for it. Now, the problem is with these two parables, there is no context, really. Uh, there is no question that has been asked. There is no situation that has come about. You go back in chapter 13, and really all you have is Jesus telling a bunch of more parables. You don't have anything like happened before the prodigal son and all of that. So we don't know exactly the purpose of them or why Jesus told them. But we do know that they had to do deal with the kingdom because Jesus said that. Secondly, we also know that they both deal with something of great value. One is a hidden treasure. Now, nothing more is said about that. Don't you wish Jesus would have expanded on that a little bit? What do you mean a hidden treasure? You know, I'm thinking pirate treasure. You know, I'm thinking a, a, a treasure chest. And in fact, I Googled, I don't know, you You know, I'm not breaking any secrets here, but all this, you know, stuff on the PowerPoint, you know, I didn't come up with all that, you understand. I Googled the parables and there it was. And so I know you're shocked. 
But I googled, you know, parable of the hidden treasure images. And it was all treasure chests. You know, with all this stuff coming out. I don't know what it was. Uh, as I was thinking about it, I, I wasn't so much, I don't know why this popped into my head. But I had the image of Jed Clampett. Looking for some food and up from the ground came a bubbling brew, you know, okay? You know, that that Texas gold, you know, that's what I was thinking. But I don't know what the treasure was, but it was some kind of treasure and it was valuable. And the other is this pearl of great value. And it obviously was worth something. And whether the treasure or the pearl we understand uh, and we should, Jesus Listeners understood, and we understand that whatever the treasure was, whatever the pearl is, and it's a pearl, but it was of great value. It was worth, they were worth a lot. The third thing they have in common is that they both have a man selling everything to buy it. That's another thing they have in common. Both men valued their find enough to sell everything they had to invest in the field and to invest in the pearl. Now, beyond that, there's not much left really, of the parables. But I do want to take a minute and look at the differences. There are a couple differences in the two parables. And the first one is the circumstance in which each of these valued items are found. The treasure, apparently, is is found by accident. It doesn't say that a man was out looking for buried treasure. It doesn't say that he had found a pirate map and it had an X on it and he was, you know, walking so many feet from the tree and digging down. And it says he just happened to come across this treasure and he found it by accident. The pearl, on the other hand, the find of the pearl was intentional. The merchant went out looking for that perfect pearl, for the pearl of great price. And when he found one that surpassed all of the others, he went out and sold everything that he had. It was the culmination of an active, purposeful search. Another difference, so the way that they're found is a little different. Another difference is some have suggested that the objects are inherently different on their own. Now, I didn't know how to exactly put that. But reading around, I understood what they were trying to say. The treasure, it appears, whatever it was, was probably man-made. Whether it was a treasure chest full of gold doubloons or some sort of, you know, uh, artifact that was worth a lot or something like that. It was something that was, that was man-made. Whereas the pearl comes from nature it gets its beauty from nature you know there's not much there's nothing really that man can do to a pearl to enhance its beauty or value now the same is not true with a diamond you know from what i understand you dig a diamond out of the ground you would know it from another chunk of rock maybe you know from a a crystal or some other you know object like that and it's not until it is cut 
And it's not until it is buffed and it's not until it is shaped and formed and, and shined and all those types of things that then all of a sudden a diamond is beautiful. We talk about a diamond in the rough, you know, that it may not look that pretty or whatever. And so a pearl is different. The beauty of the pearl is innate within itself. There's nothing that man can do to improve upon it. And the third difference that we have in these two parables is that one man had to buy the whole field to get the treasure. You know, it may have been a worthless field. It may have been no good for anything. It may have been rocky. It may have been desolate. It may, the field itself may not have been worth anything, but he bought the whole field so he could have the treasure. The pearl, on the other hand, the man could buy outright without having to buy anything else. Now, I'm not sure what to make of all of these similarities and to make of all of these differences. But now that we have kind of picked apart these three short verses, we'll try and apply them to us. And obviously that means deciding on two main things. If you got to, if you got to make the parables apply to us, there's two things that you got to do, right? Oh, I'm going to tell you what they are and then you're going to agree with me. Okay. Two things you got to do. First of all, you got, got to decide who the two men represent. Okay. We got two men. They find these things. So the two men have to represent somebody or something. Okay. And the second thing is we got to decide what the valued item represents, right? Those are the two main parts of each story. The man who finds it and the item of value. So we've got to decide if we're going to understand Jesus' uh, parable, what those things mean. So the most obvious interpretation is that the two men represent us. And the treasure and the pearl represent the kingdom or salvation. In most aspects, this interpretation certainly applies. And I can certainly understand why this would be the easiest interpretation to understand. It's the one, I don't know about the rest of you, but it's the one that first comes to my mind. Is that we are those people searching and then we have you know, the kingdom or salvation. Some find the kingdom essentially by accident, going back to the differences between the two, meaning that they weren't looking for it necessarily. Some are specifically searching for God. And some are in search of something, even though they know exactly what it is. Think about some of the situations that we discussed this morning. The Philippian jailer, Anything in that story tell us anywhere that he was in any way searching for God. He was minding his own business. He was at work guarding the jail. And then everything happened and he takes Paul and Silas home and Paul preaches to him about Jesus. I don't think he had any desire prior to the earthquake in the jail I don't think he had any desire to talk about God. 
wouldn't have seen any need to talk about God, wasn't searching about God. And so that would be perhaps kind of like the treasure where it was found by accident, not necessarily looking for it. But on the other hand, the Ethiopian we talked about this morning, he'd been to Jerusalem to worship. He was a convert to Judaism. He had a scroll. He had invested some money in the scroll. That would have been a big investment in those days. He was reading, he was searching, but he didn't understand. And then Philip comes and teaches him. And so people find God in a different way. Uh, Cornelius was not necessarily searching, or he was, if not searching, he was at least receptive to the gospel. The Samaritan woman, she certainly didn't seem to be searching. She wanted, in fact, to cut off the whole conversation with Jesus. But she still found him. And certainly it also fits that the kingdom, our salvation, is of great value. Greater than anything. Which also leads to the idea of giving up everything is well worth it. We mentioned this morning, Jesus talked about giving up everything. Talking about our family relationships, our friendship relationships, all those things. Giving it all up for the kingdom is well worth it. He challenged the rich young ruler to sell everything he had, give it to the poor, and follow him. The rich young ruler, on the other hand, didn't consider what Jesus was offering valuable enough to give up everything. Paul talked about counting everything that he once had thought was valuable as garbage for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and having that salvation. The rich young rulers I mentioned didn't see the value. You know, that's what makes us all kind of different. Have you noticed? You have things that you value that are important to you. Maybe they're sentimental to you. That the only reason I would care about them at all is because I care about you. But I really don't have the same emotional attachment to that. I wouldn't place the same value on that. You know, when I was, even when I was growing up as a, as a teenager, you know, it always seemed like a guy, a teenage guy, was supposed to be into cars. Even as a teenager, to me, a car was simply a way to get from point A to point B. I didn't care about what kind of car. I didn't care about any. Cars just did not interest me whatsoever. It just wasn't on my radar. A vehicle was a vehicle. Now, I also have things in my life, at my house, that I value. That I have some sort of emotional attachment to. And you could care less about those things. Because we don't share those things. But what Jesus, one of the things Jesus may be telling us in these parables is. The kingdom ought to be of greater value than anything else. The man sold everything he had. 
and bought the field. The other man sold everything he had and bought the pearl. So at face value, this seems like an acceptable interpretation of the parables. And certainly, now here's the key. The principles, if we interpret the parable this way, the principles are taught elsewhere in the Bible and by Jesus himself. So if that's the interpretation we want to use, it's not like it goes against the teaching somewhere else. Jesus said the same things elsewhere. The question is, is that what Jesus meant by this parable? Now, the real rub of this interpretation comes. And by the way, I never intended the lessons on the parable to become more teaching than preaching. But, you know, I understand that it kind of has, at least tonight. But the rub comes with, if we take the parable, meaning that the two men are us, and the treasure and the pearl are the kingdom or our salvation. Then it kind of insinuates, if not outright says, that we can buy our salvation. That if we get enough money together, if we collect enough money, we can buy the kingdom. We can buy our salvation. Now, some of you may be thinking like I did when I first read that. Okay, you're just taking it too deep. You're, you're, just, you're just going too deep into the parable. You just need to take it at face value. That was my initial reaction. But the more I got to reading and the more I got to thinking and the more I saw this alternate interpretation. I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense too. And the alternate interpretation is, is that the two men are God. And the treasure and the pearl are us. Think about that a minute. I'd never really considered it that way. But there is no doubt that God has been searching For a relationship with man from the beginning. Adam and Eve, the patriarchs, Israel. But it was not until the ultimate price was paid. His own son. That that could happen. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus for the joy set before him. Endured the cross. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus gave up everything. He did not count equality with God as something to be held on to, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, came down to this earth as a servant, died on the cross. He gave up everything for us. And I certainly believe that the father giving up his son was a cost That to me is incomprehensible. And to me this interpretation just magnifies God's love for us. The other thing that kind of makes me begin to lean towards this interpretation is in the story of the, the, uh, the, the parable of the hidden treasure. It says that he bought the field. 
in order to get the treasure. Remember back in the parable of the weeds, just a little bit back in this chapter. And Jesus told the we or told the parable of the weeds and that, you know, the field. And then and Jesus specifically told us the field is the world. Now, whether you can say, okay, that he used field to mean the world in that parable. And so that means he must mean it here in this parable that I'm not sure. But there is a sense in which. The price of Jesus redeemed the world from the hands of Satan, at least potentially. Now, it's up to each of us individually whether we accept that. But since the fall of man, since since Adam and Eve in the garden, this world has been under Satan's power and Satan's dominion. And then at the cross and the resurrection, everything was at least made right in the sense of potential. We still got to deal with stuff here. But it's been made right through the blood of Jesus. God's incomprehensible love for us. Now we looked in Peter at some of those verses where it talks about being his chosen people, royal priesthood and all those different things. How that God chose us and we were his elect and we, you know, all those different things. But we are God's treasure. He, he loves us so much. He gave up everything for us. We are, you are his pearl of great price. He gave up everything to buy you back to himself. So, which is it? Are we the two men? Or are we the treasure and the pearl? I'm going to suggest this. I don't know that it matters. Because it may depend on where you are at a particular time in your relationship with God. You know, in the Old Testament, sometimes it would be what we call dual prophecies. The prophet would prophesy about something. And it would mean something specifically to those people at that time to whom he was speaking. But it also had... A messianic prophecy attached to it. A prophecy about Jesus. Now the people then wouldn't understand that. They just wanted to know, well what does this prophecy mean for me here and now? The prophecy in Isaiah, the, to me the, the, the most obvious one, is the prophecy in Isaiah chapter seven fourteen, where it says, And the virgin will conceive and bear a child. Well, that was actually in the middle of a prophecy where Isaiah was telling the king that everything is going to be all right. And just, you know, I know it's bad now, but in a little while, everything's going to be all right. And he's talking about, I think, a young woman who was there may have been a virgin at the time, but was not obviously going to stay so. And she was going to have a child. And by the time that child knew right from wrong, the threat against the king was going to be gone. 
That's what the prophecy meant to them. It's not until Jesus is born that we find out that that prophecy also had to do with the virgin birth of Jesus. Those people, those people back then would have been shocked if you'd have told them that's what that prophecy had to do with. So all I'm saying is, is could it not be that Jesus' parable, Jesus' teaching, might mean different things to us at different times in our lives? If you're like the rich young ruler who can't seem to give up, give up something that's keeping you from the true joy God wants you to have, then it's the first interpretation. If you're more like the Samaritan woman who couldn't believe that Jesus would even talk to her, if it's hard for you to comprehend that God cares about you, if it's hard for you to understand that anybody thinks you're of value, then it's the second interpretation where God sees you as his treasure and his pearl. Either way, I think there's lessons to be learned. Either way, Jesus' teachings can touch our hearts and our lives. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.